so Rokas on the podcast, it's just been interview after interview for a while. And, and, um, right now it's just you and I Indeed. And you're, you're back at school university. Yeah. And why don't you update the listeners on that? I'm still at home, but you're, you're in your dorm. I'm in, yeah, I'm in university. There have been some confirmed COVID cases. For now, we have online classes. I still have a few in-person classes, but that might change considering considering the confirmed cases. I've met my flatmates though. I like them, all nice people. I'm happy to be back in university, uh, looking after myself. Yeah, I do prefer it that way. Just yeah, I like how you said that. <clears throat> looking after yourself, um, and I don't, I don't have university experience, but I know what it felt like to move out of my mom's house for the first time when I was uh, a teenager. Yeah, yeah, I must have been, yeah, I must have been eighteen or nineteen, and uh, basically right when, right, right after I graduated high school, I think. Um, and maybe plus a few months, me and my friend moved to Indiana um, to start that business. And yeah, there's a sense of freedom, just like driving for the first time. <laughs> just like driving for the first time. I'll never forget that either. I am, uh, so you're back at uni and you're, um, you're continuing on with your studies. Yep. And I'm, so how many years do you have left? Is this your, your junior? This year and then next year. And I'm done. Oh man, that's exciting. All right. So hopefully we can continue this work um, and see how, how that all develops as we, I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Just like, yeah, uh, for sure. we'll do updates every now and then I'm, um, I'm working at NASA right now um, as a federal contractor. And uh, I'm helping with advanced air mobility in the uh, supply chain sector or department um, called films. Um, there's like 35 departments uh, or tasks in the, the NASA workload and uh, films is just one of them. And let's see, films stands for... <laughs> Uh, fully integrated life cycle mission support services. And through films, um, the contracting service I work for leverages its expertise in support of NASA strategic goals to expand the frontiers of knowledge, capability, and opportunity in space and to develop technologies that improve understanding and life on earth. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. I've basically gone from coaching and mentoring full-time to part-time. And uh, Monday through Friday, I'm with this wonderful team at NASA, um, working with them. Uh, really great experience so far. Uh, really enjoying the way people think at NASA and the professionalism and the um, efficiency, the expertise, the just all of it, really refined way of thinking. So it's kind of, I feel kind of at home. And to be honest, it feels a lot like the monastery. It feels a lot like the teams we had there. 
the meetings feel the same way. Um, just, just all around really solid people because everyone there is a thinker. And <clears throat> so, yeah, still mentoring a little bit here and there for uh, Zen Mind Academy. We've got our website up and running now. Um, it's, it's a simple website, nothing crazy, just WordPress. It's at um, zenmind.academy. And we are just rolling out plans for the future, um, going according to what's going on in the world and just taking it slow, trying to onboard more people digitally first before we start thinking of our, our first retreat location. And when we do have a retreat, we'll try to make it um, available to students and adults uh, and just interested parties. Um, so that means not during uh, school times and things like that. So hopefully on maybe a break uh, next year, 2021, something like that. All right. Uh, I'm just wondering, so how's the talent distribution between NASA and SpaceX? Does it feel like maybe like SpaceX has taken talent from NASA or maybe the other way around? Or does it seem like fairly balanced? Give me a few more weeks of okay. experience. <laughs> uh, I, so I've only been in the position maybe a week and a half. So I've been inundated with uh, tasks. And I think when, I think I'll be able to answer that question when the headquarters at Ames um, actually opens. I've got my ID badge. Um, I can go on site, but um, I'm not needed to go on site. That's only for labs right now. They're in a certain stage. So give me a little while and uh, let me get familiar with the landscape and maybe I'll know. In fact, I've been thinking about that same thing, you know, the, the, but you know, that's also a different department. I'm not so much in the yeah, space uh, and aeronautics. I'm actually working with uh, advanced air mobility for the human or for the civilian sector. And we're working uh, with clients on air regulation, uh, uh, federal air regulation on, on drone flight. And then if we get drones with humans in them, <clears throat> um, you know, if, if Uber Elevate takes off, um, how high can they fly? How high should they fly? Should they fly over someone's backyard and be able to look down into your backyard? Do we need residential covers? You know, do we, uh, can the drone, how far can a drone go? Can it go from Manhattan to Beijing? Um, you know, what happens if it runs out of battery? Does it shake a lot? Is it scary for people? So all these kinds of um, questions have to be asked. And uh, something that I do right now is just, um, learning how to navigate those meetings and bring people together, like bring the smart people together so they can talk about that, record what they say, things like that. Um, so more on that in the future. And, um, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe more on that in the future. So let's, let's shoot with the, uh, oh, let me ask you a question before you ask me some questions. Rokas, 
Uh, we've been doing this podcast now for about 100 years, 150 years, excuse me. So there's been so many episodes. Yeah. yeah. There's been so many episodes. I mean, I don't know how many recorded hours we have, but it's a lot. Yeah. Sure. Um, all the information, all the people, all the conversations we've had. I think it's cool now that you're back at uni, you get a chance to kind of go into different modes, perspectives, states of mind. How do you feel now coming back to uni as a, we call that a junior in America, has men in the making, you know, as being the man in the making and being on the path. How do you, do you look at life differently? And if so, how? For sure. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to say about this, so I won't be able to cover quite a lot of it, but the things that come into mind are from meeting you, uh, I'd say the main thing I learned was the reason for improving myself is so I can then help others around me so I can help the yeah, community around me, the people I care about. Uh, so you improve yourself in order to help others. So I really like that about your work. Uh, I think something, another thing that has changed would be when I meet people, I used to, I guess, be anxious because I'd want to prove to them that I tried to prove myself. Yeah, so I'll rephrase that. I tried to prove myself to those people, but after after doing all these podcasts and speaking to so many of the guests and just listening to you and i'll see that i yeah i don't need to be proving myself to other people and i'm on my own journey um and everyone's at a different stage in life yeah it's yeah it's i'm finding it hard to like no, into what's in, that's fine. Spot, yeah. I could tell you're, you're, you're trailing with the uh, word uh, or phrases, but that the point there, let's stay with that point. You don't need to articulate that anymore. That's very profound. That's very important, you know? Um, and that's true for everyone. You, and you finding out that you don't have to prove your somehow prove yourself to other people in most of your interactions in life is, is um, liberating, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's liberating, it's freeing. Um, it's, not, it's not true for everyone all the time, right? Like at work or at a career with a client, if you own your own business or whatever, manage your own team, you will have to prove yourself. Um, people do have to prove themselves. Firefighters have to prove themselves when they face a fire. If not, <laughs> they will succumb to the flames. But um, in, I would say in 90% of our uh, life, you know, even inside work, um, this, this, uh, our interactions with other people should be genuine and proving ourselves is usually not genuine. It's, it's usually um, not saying it's an affectation and, 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 a, and a pretend fantasy, but but proving ourselves is very specific, very specific situations, like a student to a teacher, 
Um, and that, and the medium of proof comes through the test and the grade. Uh, everything else needs to be a genuine, um, just human interaction. And, and I think, you know, you overcoming social anxiety and just being yourself, realizing that you don't have to prove yourself in that situation is, is, um, that's exciting. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And we have had on such amazing guests. I, I can't wait for the next one. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, I do know that we want to get everyone together at some point to talk, but um, there's going to be someone, our next interview, our next one-on-one is going to be great. And we're going to learn even more about the mind and uh, who we should be and, and who we are as people and how we, how we think and, um, what about one of the things I've been interested in is uh, specifically with you, Rokas, is when you're not with people, when you're alone, do you perceive life and the mind at all differently? Do you use more critical thinking or did that not change? Were you always kind of a thinker or do you think about like things mystically more? Cause you've always been kind of a science guy and you're, you're an extremely bright person, but how, how mystically changed have you become with talking about things like death and meditation and, and all these other spiritual things we've talked about uh, over the episodes. So definitely changed. Cool. Okay. Let's say the full, I remember during a podcast with Ross Victory. Uh, yeah. When he was talking about the death of his yeah. dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about the death of my friend. And the thought that came to me was I think it's um, in a way selfish to mourn the death of someone because you're mourning that you won't be able to spend time with that person again. You're sad that you won't be able to have any more experiences with them because if they're still, let's say on the earth, but maybe you haven't seen seen them for maybe 10 years, you know, at least they're there and there's still the chance to still experience time with them. But when they're gone, you know, that's gone. And I don't know, I guess, yeah, maybe that helped me thinking of it. Like, I don't want to be selfish. And yeah, I don't know. Again, it's quite hard to articulate, but it's a a tough, it's a tough um, topic because it's not like we proved anything. All we did was offer another perspective, right? And when we, we're, when we're stuck in a room, like imagine being stuck in a room and there's only one door and we go in and out of that door. But one day that, that door doesn't make the same sense. It's like thoughts in our mind. We're stuck with only a certain amount of thoughts and critical thinking and learning from others and listening to others allows us to use more doors that were already there in the room. We just couldn't see them. So we we're allowed to have more thoughts. In fact, how many thoughts are we allowed to have as humans with this infinite mind, this uncharted mind? 
I mean, we don't know the answer to that question. So how many perspectives could there possibly be? And that's why there's teams of people that work for companies, right? That's why NASA doesn't just have one really smart person. SpaceX doesn't just have Elon Musk, right? There's, there's teams of people that you don't see and we'll never know that are like, hey, our booster should actually um, not go beyond this capacity or else something will go wrong here. And then everyone's like, God, I didn't even think about that. So if your one mind can, can, can get more thoughts than it had the day before, you have another option for perceiving reality. And that's all culture really is. It's giving you more options. And um, my hope when working with anyone, my hope when doing this podcast with you and everyone else and the listeners is, how can we give them another thought? How can we give them another option? Um, I think that's, I think that's awesome. That so was, yeah, that was a really good way to answer the question you asked. Well, it's just, you, you, you had a, um, you, you said it, I just expanded on it. Um, what, let's see, I think I'm done with questions. Anything on, unless, let's see. I can continue on from your, what you just answered um you were talking about thoughts and the yeah yeah so oh and also if if anyone hasn't listened to the ross victory episode we did that on march uh 25th we went live with that um that was episode how does apple not tell you what episode that is just with ross victory uh oh on on death, books, music, and spirits with Ross Victory. So that was a pretty intense <laughs> yeah. uh, episode. All right, uh, expanding on what we're talking about, thoughts, increasing yeah. your thoughts. Yep. Yeah. Um, this was actually yeah, one of the questions I had prepared, which is similar. So in oh. the Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz, I believe it is something we covered. Um, he says the most important thing is being impeccable with your word. Uh, and I quote, but like, a, <clears throat> but like a sword with two edges, your word can create the most beautiful dream or your word can destroy everything around you. With wow. that in mind, how important do you think truth is and to what extent should a person be truthful? Mm. Nice. Oh, that's the question. I thought that was yeah. the quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. With that in mind, from that, <laughs> the end of the question. I thought you were reading like uh, Miguel Ruiz's <laughs> quote, <laughs> and I was like, "Man, yes." Um, okay, so uh, let's go back to where I thought you were quoting and ask me the question again. Okay, so with that in mind, how important do you think truth is, and to what extent should a person be truthful? Right. Okay. Great question. I mean, uh, I learned the answer to that question from my guru in the monastery um, when he told me to um, always say uh, what is true, helpful, kind, or necessary. Okay, and I'll say that as slower. True, helpful, kind, or necessary. <laughs> and that's how you should speak. So, Jordan Peterson, uh, another person I regard highly, is says never to lie. 
So, but then reading on in his work, there's different nuances. And the way that uh, I regard speech is, um, is, a, is a blend of the two, you know. And I think, I think I like the answer my guru gave better because it's a little bit more detailed and it doesn't require as much uh, strain in thought. A true, helpful, kind, and necessary. And, and that answers different questions at different times and saying different things. And that says you don't always have to say what's completely true and as, as long as it fits in one of those parameters, right? So now we're dealing with um, parameters of, of an answer. Instead of just truth, we're talking about, well, is it necessary? It may be true, but is it necessary? And uh, an example for that is, is like political conversations with your family. Is that necessary? Do you have to have that conversation? Or can you allow them to think how they think and you think how you think and just move on? Uh, because they're your family. And, and when you have to live with someone, it's, it's oftentimes you have to wonder if you should even broach a certain subject for, you know, concern of, of uh, being inundated with, with uh, ruining that relationship. And, and when you could have just lived your life as you were and, um, you know, the way I see speech is um, to be taken um, as a gift, as a, as a very precious form of energy. And I think you should watch your speech, um, see the way you're speaking, and reduce it as much as possible. I think that to speak too much is uh, a sign of in calculation and, and uh, a waste of energy if you don't need to speak. So you should watch what you say and make sure you actually need to say something. Um, I think my transition from being an immature person to a mature person can specifically be linked to the moment when I learned when not to speak. And it was very clear when I was younger and uninformed and uneducated, speaking was very free, very open, very random. Un, you know, I did not collect my thoughts before speaking. I did not think about others before speaking. I did not care about anything else but me speaking at that moment. And it often got me into trouble. And this was trouble with police. This is trouble with professionals. This is trouble with clients, this trouble with family, trouble with friends. <clears throat> it's all areas of your life because we speak in all areas of our life. So the moment I distinctly changed was when one of my, I was sitting, uh, I was, I actually remember the exact moment. I was sitting on top of our granite temple on the roof in the monastery. This was like one of my, maybe the first year I was in. And I had this habit of when my senior instructor gave me a task or started explaining the project with me and three other guys, you know, three other monks are looking to our senior monk and we're just listening. I would blurt stuff out and, and, and 
I would just start speaking. And one day my supervisor was speaking about this really important subject. He, and he was like, will you shut up? <laughs> and then he said, but he, he went on to kind of more succinctly say, do you think I'm stupid? Because I was starting to like change the project. I was starting to, to evaluate his things. And he, and he was like, do you think I haven't given this enough thought and research in the last like 10 years? And, and, and that makes so much sense, right? Like I was just, I didn't give him any credence, any of his background credence. I was just like, oh, I have a better idea. <laughs> I've been on the job site for five minutes. I've seen this. I've got a way better idea. And the truth is, it wasn't just his words that that changed me that day. It was it was his vibration. The way he put it out pierced me like a sword or like an arrow. And it cut right through me. It stung to my bones. And I like trembled a bit and was was thinking, holy crap, like. I could see myself for the first time outside of myself at that moment. And we should all look at ourselves in that way from time to time, from the third person perspective, how does someone else see you? How does someone else hear you? And, you know, I'd like to say from that moment on, I was like mature, but it, it was a gradual change, but that was the spark uh, where I realized I was being an idiot because my speech was excessive. So if we can keep our speech from being too excessive, um, we will go extremely far and we will learn a lot more. And I'm actually, I was wondering what I was going to teach this coaching group later today. Davey, if you're listening, this is the, this is for you guys. Um, The excessiveness of speech. I'm just writing that down. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's how I would handle truth in that, in that way. And in, in that, I, I love that quote hundred percent and you got to know which sword to use, uh, which side, you know, to slice or do you uh, sheathe your sword and, and not actually use it. Mm-hmm. And then a more general question. Um, how do you change the paradigm of someone who lived their life seeking comfort and instant gratification? So how do I, how do I, what with that person? Um, how do you change the paradigm of someone? Ah, yeah. <laughs> of a, of a, of a profligate, a licentious profligate, someone who just wastes and, and wants. Yeah. Living in the short term, not really considering long term. And maybe they want to change, but they don't really know what they should do or really don't really have the, maybe they want it, but how should they're not, I don't want to say motivated because that's like another question I'll have, like how far can motivation Motivation get you when wanting to improve yourself? Yeah. Motivation is bleeding. That's a great question though. Um, Yeah, I think the paradigm question depends on the distinction of do they want to change first? Let's say the person doesn't want to change. I would, I would keep that person. I would stay away from that subject unless they asked. 
uh, again, in, like energy management um, modalities, not deal with things that you can't change and let them be. I mean, I think like, I don't know, you, sometimes you get lucky and someone says something piercing to you, but that person that'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Um, when they hit the rock bottom, I guess. Yeah. You got to kind of wait for it or you can help them with it. If you know what you're doing, if you're on, if you're accomplished and, and knowing yourself, you can definitely be the change in someone else. I would say, I would say that person may need a, um, a, a near death experience to help change their ways. Um, maybe not, maybe not so extreme as death, but for example, when you, when you do have a near death experience, you start to realize how precious life is. So sometimes that's needed. Um, maybe a near psychotic break, you know, a, a, a breakdown of some sort is needed so that the person can start to ask questions like, what am I doing? What's going, like, what am I doing wrong, essentially? And because uh, if someone is in the blaming mentality, there's not a whole lot you can do because they're stuck. They're not ready yet to hear about anything else. They're not ready for more doors in their room. They like the walls. They like the closed in aspect and they like that one door that they can go to as an escape with, with someone who is ready and they they're ready for a paradigm shift. Um, they're ready to stop wasting energy. Um, the teacher, I mean, this, the quote, you know, the famous phrase, uh, the teacher appears when the student is ready. And if we all agree that the teacher is anything, then uh, I think the paradigm shift will present itself. And maybe the ironic thing is the paradigm shift is always there presenting itself, whether we're ready or not. And when we're ready, we just are aware of it. And my, my guru told me that when I started to get really good at meditation, like really, really good. And I went into his office one day. He had an open door policy. You walk in, sit down, you inter you can interrupt him no matter what. And he would stop and just stop typing and stop writing and look at you and be like, how can I help you? Um, and I just barged in one day and was like, so I had this insight into meditation in my life and, and said, I'm getting good at meditation. And now all these things are happening to me. And he said, aha, here's where you're wrong. Things have always been happening to you. You've just been so dumb. <laughs> so blinded and ignorant that you haven't seen anything. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I guess my methods for changing someone's paradigm is just talking to them. Um, I mean, starting a podcast with them <laughs> 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 takes a really long time that way, but you know, like you said, you change what's that It's in the making <laughs> you, you, so far. So Ross Victory helped change your perspective on something. He, that was just, yeah, one of the things I could think Right? Of. And he just so said something. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a catalyst brought out by speech or a movie or something we see. Um, 
And that person who's in the expedient realm of mind who can't stop, you know, seeking pleasure in the moment um, and wasting energy, you have to go back to why they stopped caring about themselves. That's the root of the issue, I think. Uh, like Henry David Thoreau said, there's a, you can hack away at the leaves of evil, but at the, at the root, there's just one strike um, to get it to get at the cause of everything. And it's definitely self-respect. It's self-worth. Um, however highly we see ourselves is how we're going to live our life. And I think most people don't think that highly of themselves. So they allow their own, um, they allowed their own morals and, and things like that to either never develop or to never stand for them when they need to. And in relationships, we call that barriers. Um, it's not really a good word for it. It's just self-esteem. It's self-worth, what you mean to yourself and how highly you hold yourself. So in a relationship, intimate or whatever, professional or, or personal, we, um, we allow ourselves to be um, treated a certain way. And so the funny thing that Stephen Covey uh, used to say on this uh, 1979 audio lecture we had of him in the monastery, I would listen to it all the time. He would say, you know, it's basically a win-win or a win-lose situation. If, if you're going for win-win and there's an equal exchange of energy, then you come out with what you want. But if you don't come out with what you want, why did, you know, why did you let yourself not come out with what you want? And he gave, he gives a business example. You know, we went into the project, we went into the meeting, the give our, gave our proposal, they counter proposed and we lost and we, we, we shook on it, but we didn't get what we want. And he said, well, why did you shake on it? Like, why did you go to that level and not say no deal? And if you cared about your company enough, if you, if you meant that much to how much your proposal is, you wouldn't have agreed on it. You said, no, that's not what our value is. We can't agree on that, nor can we compromise. And we compromise with everything in our life. Um, you know, we compromise our health. We compromise the way we look. We compromise... Um, the way people treat us, we compromise how much we're paid, we compromise essentially our worth. And if we are of high value, which we are, if we develop ourselves, which we can, then um, we need to stand up for our, our values when they're at risk of being lost. So, you know, that means if you're at risk of, of gaining weight and compromising your health, you need to exercise. You need to moderate diet. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, negotiation. It's like, that's how much you care about yourself. So you get up and you go run. Um, when we're in a conversation with someone else. Yeah. Perfect. So an important part with that is define your values. So oh, then you know absolutely. Yeah, what to stand up for. So Boom. Compromise. Okay. Carry on. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no, that's, well, I was just rump. I was just going off into a rant, but <laughs> you're right. That assumes 
we have values. And I think Stephen Covey said that word for word somewhere in that, at that lecture, um, setting. Oh no. Was it him who said that? Yeah. Anyway, that assumes we have values. Yeah, he did say that. Um, I mean, the same thing goes for worth. If we have self-worth, that assumes that we have something to give back, which is why self-development is so important. It's, it's, it's so important. And um, yeah. So the other part of that question was. How far can motivation get you? Ah, yeah. Yourself? Motivation, which is fleeting. Motivation is fleeting. It, it doesn't last. And, and I think we've talked about that in the, in one of the episodes a long time ago was the pillars to passion, right? The five pillars yeah, or yeah. steps, um, inspiration, motivation, discipline, habits, passion. Okay. And got to give Dr. Mike Israetel of Renaissance periodization credit for that. He came up with this awesome model for how a human achieves passion. Um, I mean, Socrates takes the credit probably for, or his student, take, uh, Plato takes the credit for, uh, you know, documenting the, the fact that passion can't really be taught. But Dr. Mike Israetel of Renaissance Periodization, um, I was listening to one of his lectures, uh, gosh, maybe like five years ago, four years ago who talked about these five pillars and inspiration and motivation are, he, he said they liken to the waves that wax and wane on the shore and they come and they go and they have a schedule and they they have a timeline and it's, it's can be predicted. You will be motivated and then you will not be motivated. You have to then rely on discipline and discipline. It cannot take you the whole way. Discipline is strong but it is fleeting. It can fade. I would say it will fade. And you then have to rely on habits. And habits are strong. Habits are powerful, but they also won't last, which is how you can pretty much depend on passion. But then there's an argument for passion even waning and starting over again on inspiration, motivation. To me, I'm not sure... Mike Israel said this, but to me, I think the insight that I had on that is all five of them wax and wane. And we so wait, not sorry, I've got four of them. Motivation goes to discipline, goes to habits, goes to passion. What did I miss? Inspiration, motivation. Inspiration, then motivation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right? Inspiration is that spark. Yeah. Motivation is the energy following the spark. Discipline is that force that kind of carries it through when the energy starts to wane. Everyone knows what that's like. Habit is just, you've just been doing it for long enough. It's a habit. What, I mean, maybe scientifically we know 21 days. I, I don't know. I think it's longer for habits. 30, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, I don't know if that can even be proven for True, anyone. Enough, yeah. Paramahansa Yogananda would say that you can change and create a habit instantaneously if you have the will and i absolutely 100 agree you don't need a 21 day timeline to to one of my friends adam if you're listening this is about you um 
he quit, he was a smoker um, for like a, a solid 15 years, 12 years. I don't know, a long time, over a decade, I think. And if I'm wrong, he can correct me. But uh, he, what he decided to do was go to the jungle, like of, what is it? Like some jungle of uh, like wood area in Colorado, like this no man's land cabin up in a tree, <laughs> like some Airbnb up in a tree <laughs> with him and his dog for like a week. And he had nothing with him. And he just laid on the floor and in his words, sweated it out <laughs> <laughs> like an addict, like, like a heroin addict. And, and it's the same, I think it's the same response. And he stopped smoking cigarettes after that. Like, I think it was like four days of pain, sweat and hunger. And, and, uh, he, he did it. I mean, that's like one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. And to this day. So, and that was a long time ago because we're all old people at this point. So, um, yeah, those, the, how did that lead to the five steps? Um, oh yeah. Cause motivation is waning. So that's what you do. Uh, you can't rely on motivation. You can't even rely, rely on passion, right? I used to have a passion for a lot of things and life changes your passions. Life, life, um, has a tendency to just, well, life sits there and, and waits for you as a canvas and you're the artist. And eventually you have to change brushstrokes. You have to kind of pivot. You have to move on. You have to change for a minute and do this and have a family, you have to have a career, blah, blah, blah. You have to go to the jungle for 12 years. Like you change things at different times. You have to go from home to university. A passion may change. Ideally, you have a toolbox in life. And that toolbox has fitness. The toolbox has your writing. The toolbox has your relationship skills. It has your professionalism. It has your ability to lose your will and become an alcoholic. Your toolbox has everything of potentiality. And mastery is the ability to open and close the toolbox when you're ready, when the moment calls for it. You know, you don't want to be the, you don't want to be the eternal hammer treating everything like a nail right? He that is good with a hammer treats everything like a nail. No, you want to be the master who can either pull out a sword if he has to kill or pull out a pen if he has to write or pull out his, his, his lust if he has to lust and, and his poem, his poetry, if he has to be a, a, a poet. I mean, you have to be able to drink if you're invited. You have to be able to to, to sign a contract if you're designated to wear a suit. I mean, over and over again, we are asked to multitask and, and, and be a different How do you person. develop that? Do you have to experience the extremes of both sides or is there another way? Well, I think the answer to that is not experience. I think a lot of people would say experience and I don't, we don't have time for experience. We're going to let's this body does not last long enough to be that smart. We have to absorb 
the lives of other people. Okay. Like the old video game. Uh, what's that wife pu- white puffball dude? The like the Kirby. <laughs> You're too young to know what that is, but <laughs> there used to be a video game called Kirby. And he, he was like this white ghost thing, like a big marshmallow. And he, his one superpower was to, to inhale. And he was like, <gasps> and he could expand. And he would just inhale things along the, the 2D experience. And, um, right, it was like Sonic, that 2D experience. Except with Kirby. Um, and it's the reading, it's the learning, it's the listening, it's the travel, it's, it's absorbing other cultures. That's how we develop fully. It's not so much experience. Experience is the application of what we learned. Experience is also the collection, but you know, I've never worked for NASA before. How am I supposed to to have that experience before the experience, right? I can't. I have to have the experience in my toolbox. I have to have somewhere in there the ability to uh, fluidly adapt, right? Have fluid intelligence. Learn something, apply it. Learn something, apply it. And I have to do that moment to moment, sentence to sentence, day to day. So it's not experience. It's the absorption of, of other people's experience, other people's lives, that will will make you it's like being a soul sucker right in a in a video game or a in mortal Kombat. that dude uh who was like the biggest villain um he was able to defeat his enemy and then take his soul and get his powers when you read a book you take their experience and it's yours now and it's it's not your life but it's up to you to be able to put that in the toolbox and see if you can apply it if I, I'm reading right now, I'm reading the uh, autobiography of, um, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, right? Former U.S. president um, and, and famous Redwood conservationist. He has these experiences in there. He has these sayings and learnings and truths and realizations about, um, about courage, about what it means to be a man, about what it means to be someone who gives back to society, what it means to be a true American. You know, I have to put that in my toolbox, right? In my subconscious and then see if I can apply it. And the appropriate moment it applies is called wisdom, right? I'm gathering knowledge. And when I use that knowledge, that's wisdom. Yep. And yeah, from this podcast, all the people we've spoken to I've gotten a lot of a lot more I don't know how to phrase it but my toolbox expanded I guess you'd say yes yeah 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 and and you've been applying it you know consciously and unconsciously Mm -hmm. right like you said consciously I see changes yeah for sure yeah I can't like just phrase them on the spot right now. exactly exactly no it's, it's just happening and I mean, when you get meditation, I think gives you that ability to, to recognize it in the moment. It takes it from the unconscious to the conscious because meditation is the art of manipulating your own awareness and what you become aware of, whether you want to become aware of something or not. So 
that's, that's another part of the answer to someone who is expedient, someone who is stuck in the moment of immediate pleasure. You know, meditation will help them see that they're in that, that moment. Um, but meditation, if, if they have the, the right technique, if they have the wrong technique, they're, they're going to get nowhere fast. Uh, and going back a bit to the inspiration, motivation, discipline, habit, passion. Uh, so when, as the phrase goes, um, let's say for your job, when someone gives you the advice of, let's say, find your passion and then yeah, like do your job around that. So you're saying you can't just find your passion, you need to actually be doing something and then that passion will develop. Um, like you need to go through that inspiration, then motivation, then discipline and habits, and then your passion. And then, yeah, you get your passion or do you, can you just start from passion? Can they just be? That's a good question. Okay. Yes. Yes. You can definitely jump around. You can go from inspiration to passion instantaneously. Yes. We've all, okay. maybe not, we've all been there, but I, I think we both definitely know moments where we are inspired by just something we see and we've never given it up. We've never stopped. Like it's always been something that we're interested in. Um, you, but, but passion is not, um, passion is not guaranteed. There's, there's, there's nothing that says you will follow those steps accordingly and then end up in passion. No way. It's, it's, um, part of it is mysterious. Part of it's like magic of the universe. You know, if passion develops, you know, I mean, we're all passionate about something, but uh, we're not passionate about other things. There, there's no way you could get me to be passionate about um, pouring cement. No way. I could go through the inspiration of getting it, motivation, the discipline of, of, of pouring it every day, uh, mixing it by hand. Um, guaranteed, I will not go from habit to passion about concrete. No way, ever. Some people are. You, you see the, the 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 shine in some people's eyes when they start talking about laying cement. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. Um, that's a thing. And and passion about you know human drone flight. You know, and getting humans from dr in drones in, in in the air instead of uh, on the ground. That's that that's something that people have passion for. You won't see that everywhere else. Some people will be like, "Huh," and that's it's it's a, a new thought. It's way outside their scope. So we have to have the ability to jump around if that's what happens, right? If we're supposed to do that, we, it will happen. Other times, we need to use the system. We need to, especially with maintaining our um, health in life, we have to kind of go through inspiration and motivation, and then up through passion and then fitness is a passion again. And I say this from experience, you know, sometimes I'll go nuts on fitness for like a year and then I'll, I'll have to take like a month off and be like, nah, I ain't doing that now. I'm, I'm I am going to eat that donut though. <laughs> and then, you and then, that inspiration again. then it comes back and you're like, boom, baby, I'm back, you know? And, and uh, you just, the ability to, to not deny that uh, allows for a lot of uh, 
a reduction in anxiety because a lot of people get anxiety from needing to be on 24 seven. And they're like, Oh no, I can't lose this. This is my identity. And it's like your identity should be way more solid than fitness. Your identity should be rooted in spirit, not in body. That's just something you have to do to maintain body, but your identity should be rooted in spirit. And that once that's a passion, that doesn't go away. Okay. Uh, and then going back again to the paradigm. So to summarize, uh, the first thing will be the person needs to want to change. Then second thing, go back to why they lost their self-worth. Uh, third thing, listen to people already on the path. And fourth thing, know your value. Don't compromise your worth. And then you add it as a fifth thing, meditation as well. So do those things summarize that well? As in, do those things summarize um, what you were saying? Yeah, nice job. Uh, actually, yeah, can you send that to me? Yep, sure. Yeah, that's, that's solid. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> I have a second monitor now, so I'm making notes on it. It's quite convenient. Okay, uh, I have nothing more to say. and that is wise all right great i think that's a good show um oh so i am uh super excited to say that i'm basically almost sold out of books um our first our goal was one sell 100 books we almost did i have a handful of books left and um shipping out like five more tomorrow so uh, if you want your book before I just send people to Amazon, I'm not sure I'm going to do this again. Cause man, the book business is hard. Uh, every morning I wake up after my run, I drink coffee, fulfill book orders before my eight o'clock, uh, start at, at NASA. And, um, you know, I'm not sure I want to do another hundred books. Uh, it was a cool experience, but I'm not passionate about selling books. So um, I can recognize that in myself. And if you want to buy a book, you, there's don't wait. It's not going to be around forever. I will just send people to Amazon and say, pre-order. Good luck. It'll be out next year. Um, to get your personalized copy from me, from my office, uh, rajanshankara.com slash the hyphen book. The book. Um, it's also just on my website. There's a button that says the book. So that's going to be where it's found. You can apply for that. And then um, I will send you an invoice. And uh, I will then, once that invoice is paid, I will send your book to your house. Um, I'm super excited that uh, we're almost done. And when it comes out on Amazon, Hopefully there's going to be 100 reviews that hit on that day. And then, cause they don't allow reviews before the book has been released. So we've got a hundred soldier army and we're going to float to number one for a day or two. And uh, maybe I'll be up there with Jay Shetty, a famous author and former monk who's in the same category as I am. So we've got, you know, I think he's like, uh, he's probably going to sell, half a million. So <laughs> it's 
going to be hard to get there. But maybe with our search engine optimization, we just get close for a few minutes and then drop back down to 500 in the ranks. <laughs> so everything is your fault is the name of the book. It's, it's the name of the game. And, and um, it's about my journey as a monk. And it's about what I learned and what you can do to kind of change your life through responsibility and self-leadership. Rokas, that's it for me. Um, awesome questions. And thank you for letting me ask you questions. And um, we're going to try to get someone else on here next time. Or awesome. if you got more questions, we'll do another Q&A. Cool. Yeah, thank you for your time. And until next time. All right. Aloha.